Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Today, we're going to talk about getting fired up. Getting fired up. You know, when I first met my bride... In 1986, she was on the U.S. Olympic volleyball team. And when we would go out on a date or we would meet, her little phrase was, fire up, fire up. And Beverly was nicknamed Bubbles on her Olympic team because she had this bubbly personality and she was always motivating and encouraging people. And that was our little phrase. And sometimes she would just kind of clap her hands together, go, fire up, fire up. And that was kind of a mindset. And obviously... When you're traveling around the world, as she was 42 weeks a year at that stage, playing for the USA all over the world, you had to stay fired up. She's working out six hours a day, six days a week. So staying fired up is a big thing. It was interesting. You know, here it is. It's uh, 32, 33 years later. And I said to her the other day, I go, you know, we don't say fire up, fire up too much anymore. And why is that? Why is that? Well, you know, life happens. You get beat up, you get banged up, and it's hard to stay fired up when you're getting beat up and banged up all the time. So we're going to talk today about getting fired up. And great things happen when you get fired up. And it's not just a short-term thing. Zig Ziglar used to take an awful lot of criticism because he spent a lot of his life's work on the motivational side of things. The criticism he would take would be, hey, Zig, this stuff's kind of a waste of time because it doesn't last. And he would say, motivation doesn't last, neither does bathing. That's why we do it daily. And that's the same dynamic here, is motivation, it's kind of like something you put on every day. Not a falsehood you put on or a mask that you wear. It's like a, a suit of clothes. It's like showering or brushing your teeth. It has to be done daily. And so motivation and what comes from that, this, this enthusiasm, which is a bigger piece, that's the payoff of motivation enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is infectious. Enthusiasm is an energy. The great Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. And so we want to help you get fired up today and be enthusiastic, okay? And enthusiasm, people say, I've often asked an audience, how many of you want to be more enthusiastic? And people will raise their hands. And I go, would you like to know the definition of what enthusiasm means? The word's root is possessed by God. Now, that is a pretty freaky type of phrase, isn't it? And so people don't want to be possessed, and and they go, no, I'm not the whole religion thing or whatever. The bottom line is enthusiasm, I think, is a very deep internal motivation. It's not just a little, you know, a, a sugar hit, if you will, or a sugar high of enthusiasm, of something you do as mere motivation, and it lasts a few minutes. And so we need to have that Understanding, when we get fired up, we have to stoke the fires within. And that's how I want you to view this today, this concept of getting fired up like an old coal steam locomotive, that there's an engine there, and you're going to shovel the coal into the furnace. The furnace is what burns. The furnace heats up the water, and the water produces the steam, and that pulls the locomotive. And so that's how I want you to view it today, is that you have a furnace inside of you that you can put shovels of coal in there, to get yourself fired up. And when you fire up that engine internally, every human being has this capability. 
it changes everything in your world. So let's kind of talk about it. Let's talk about getting fired up today. And let's start with what puts the furnace out. What throws the cold water on the fire so that you you go cool. So the first major point we're going to talk about today is what steals your joy. Because to me, the joy stealers are ultimately the things that take away our energy and take away our enthusiasm. So let's just talk about it. First of all, life is hard. How about them apples? There you go. That breaking news, you might want to tweet that out. Life is hard. One of my favorite quotes from John Wayne says, life is hard. It's harder when you're stupid. So that's great. You know, that's the Duke, right? And so life is hard. Catherine Hepburn, one of his many co-stars, said, life is hard. After all, it kills you. Okay? Now, I know you're supposed to get motivated and enthusiastic here today. But the fact is, life is hard. And as long as we know it's hard, it's like, okay, the locomotive on occasion has to go uphill. The locomotive on occasion has to go around a lot of twists and turns. We want to keep putting the coal into the furnace to fire up so we can go up those hills, take those twists and turns on the track of life. And so be prepared. Life is hard. The next thing is we get stuck in a rut. There's a big difference here now between a rut and a routine. Very important. And so we have to make sure that we have routines that we do on a regular basis that build us up, that create those habits. And we also have the chance to enhance our routines and change up our routines. The rut is doing the same thing over and over and feel like you're making no progress. Doing the same thing over and over again and mentally you're down in the dumps. And so a routine should be fueled by hope that it's taking you somewhere. It should be fueled by aspirations that there's goals involved. A rut means I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. And so we need to understand that some routines, without hope and aspirations, without tracking our progress, without, you know, celebrating our wins, you can end up getting yourself into a spot where it does become a rut, okay? Alan Glasgow, as a novelist, said, the only difference between a rut and a grave is in their dimensions, okay? So a lot of death featured on today's Fired Up podcast, but we're going to keep you going. Frederick Douglass, the great Frederick Douglass, says, without struggle, there can be no progress. And so that's the big thing is we want to make sure that we're making progress. Here's a big thing. If you're trying to make progress emotionally, I believe the only way you can demonstrate that to yourself is with journaling. For me, it's like if you're growing personally and it's not showing up yet in your production, it's not showing up yet in your waistline, it's not showing up yet in your bank account, how do you know you're growing? And to me, journaling is very, very powerful because you go back and you read journals from previous years or previous months, and all of a sudden you'll notice this, that things you were struggling with, you're no longer struggling with. And so that's a very, very important thing. So it's very important that we have an opportunity to measure our progress. One of the things we did years ago was develop a contact management system for our members. And the reason being is that we could allow our members, as they're doing the activities, that somehow don't show up right away in increased income or more clients right away, but we'd help people track their activities, track their numbers so they could see their progress. Because when you see your progress, it keeps you encouraged to keep moving on. And that's, again, this difference between a rut and a routine. So we have to have progress and you have to measure it. You have to measure it. You have to track it in whatever area. So whatever area you're trying to grow in, it's very important that you track it. It's very important that you measure it. And those less transactional activities 
of growth and development, whether you're trying to grow spiritually, you're trying to grow relationally, you're trying to grow emotionally. To me, the only way you're able to really track that is through journaling. And so uh, I recommend that to all of you. And then the last thing is a loss of perspective. And we all have this. We all lose perspective. And one of the ways we lose perspective is because we focus on what we don't have instead of what we do. For example, very easy in America to focus on, hey, the fast food isn't fast enough, right? And yet we all know there's places in the world where not only do they not have fast food, they don't even have slow food. Sometimes we just need to have that sense of perspective of where things are, where we've come from, where other people are in the world. You know, if you're on welfare in the United States, you're in the top 20% of income earners in the world. Now, that doesn't necessarily make someone who's on welfare feel better. It's just a matter of understanding our perspective. We need to have perspective. You know, my father used to say when we were freezing cold growing up because we had no heat in our house, his answer to there was no heat in the house was, this isn't nearly as cold as the house I grew up in. It didn't change anything for us, right? So I certainly don't want to be that guy giving that to people today. But we do all lose perspective. I've told this story uh, from stage. I wrote it in my book, The Emigrant Edge. But I had a guy work for me for years, and we traveled. I had my own Learjet for 17 years. And so I was doing events all over the world, all over. I'd, I'd be in Houston in the morning. I'd come home. I'd have dinner with the kids or coach them. And so the airplane allowed me to be in two cities in the same day. So it was a great, great privilege to fly that way for years. So I had a guy work for me for years, and... This guy kind of came from humble means and he lived in a humble house and he was good at his job. But over time, I could just see more and more just the, um, let's say, lack of perspective. So I always put my staff up in nice hotels, feed them well. Well, one of the things we did, we did this uh, event in New York. We're coming home. We had nice food on the plane. I might have been steaks and things like that. And then a lot of times if we were getting gas somewhere halfway over the country or whatever else, we'd stop off at these FBOs, these small little airports. And I'd pick up cheese and crackers for the guys. That'd all be ordered. The pilots would take care of it and whatever else. And so true story, one time we're on a flight, fed the guys well, leaving New York, best of everything. We land in Colorado Springs, and the pilots had forgotten to order cheese and crackers. And this guy gets on the plane. This is for the second half of the flight. And he literally threw a fit about not having cheese and crackers on the second leg of a Learjet flight home to San Diego. And I bring up this story because it just illustrates, because if, if we all look at that, and you, anybody listens to that and they go, what a dope. Like, how crazy can you be? Here's the deal. We all do that in our life. And I bring it up all the time in my family. I go, that's the cheese and crackers. That's the cheese and crackers. Because we all do this. We all complain about things that have become luxuries. And if there's any type of discomfort or any type of challenge, we all complain about it. You know, how can a guy complain about being on Learjet? Well, how can anybody in America complain about their circumstances when they're living in freedom? Or they have a business when there's many countries in the world you're not even allowed to own a business. In real estate, I'll hear people complaining, I have this buyer that does this. And I go, oh, hang on a second. You have a buyer? Well, isn't that great? I have this listing I can't move. I go, hang on a second. You have a listing? That's amazing. Someone trusted you enough to put their house on the market and market their house for them and you're going to get paid handsomely for it? How fantastic is that? Look, we all do it. We all have first world problems. We lose perspective. And when we lose perspective, it steals our joy. 
recently took our whole family my son's wife and my grandson we all went to hawaii together just a phenomenal trip we're on the flight coming home and sitting across the aisle in first class my bride and i are sitting there and across the aisle is a person who's obviously been to hawaii they are wearing hawaiian looking clothes they have a hawaiian looking suntan and they moaned the entire five hours home about what this was and what that was and the hotel didn't have this and they made the flight attendants squirm and the food wasn't this and I ordered a special meal and I'm thinking to myself, this person is flying home from Hawaii after a vacation. After a vacation. Now, I'm not sitting here. I don't know what's going on in that person's life. I don't know if there was a death in the family. I I'm not going to put that. But I did think this. If you can't feel grateful on the way home from Hawaii after vacation... What the hell chance do you have any other day? We all do it. We need to catch ourselves doing it. I have a code. I have a catchphrase for myself and my wife. And I turn into a learning moment where when I hear out of my own mouth some whiny little complaint about some little luxury that's not happening, I go, oh, sorry, those are cheese and crackers. And I just catch myself. And we all do it. And we'll talk in our how-to session on how to live in a different state a state of gratitude, because you can't have gratitude and entitlement in your mind and heart at the same time. So what steals our joy? Life can be hard. What steals our joy? We get stuck in a rut. And what steals our joy? For sure, a loss of perspective. So let's get on to the solution side. How do we get fired up? Because that's what I promised you today. We're going to talk about how to fire up, fire up. Well, the first thing is create some momentum. So this second major point here is about creating momentum. And uh, old man Mo, I like to call him, is that when you get momentum, all of a sudden you feel like things are going your way. When you get momentum, it's like, hang on a second here. You know, the wind's at my back. As opposed to, have you ever had seasons in your life where you feel like no matter what you do, you're not making any progress? Everything you do goes wrong. The fact is, momentum is a very powerful thing. And so we only need small amounts of momentum to do this. That's one of the reasons why when I teach goal setting at our events, I'll have people do 10-day goals, 10-month goals, and a five-year goal. People say, what's a 10-day goal? A 10-day goal is nothing more than a to-do list. Yeah, it is, except it's a to-do list of things you want to do that are to propel you. And once a person does a list, and I typically keep it to five things, and here's the five things I want to do in the next 10 days. When a person checks the box, those are all momentum givers and he's like okay i did those 10 can i do another 10 and another 10 day set of goals and can i do another 10 day set of goals and it doesn't mean you'll do you know three sets of 10 day goals in a month that's optimal but i would say this if everybody listened to this podcast did one list of five things whether it's in different categories like spiritual family business financial or personal or just five things that they want to accomplish in a month and they did it, and they just said it, and then they did everything in their power to try to pursue that in a 10-day period of time, and it took up to a month to do. If a person did one set of 10-day goals a month over the course of a year, there would be 60 things that a person would accomplish. That's called a hell of a year. That's called a hell of a year. If you could get five things done in a month over the course of a year at 60 things, that is massive progress, and it's massive momentum. And if a person can do 10-day goals they can start to work on 10-month goals. And if they start achieving their 10-month goals, you better believe they're going to kill what they can get done in five years. 
And I like to tell people all the time, we massively overestimate what we can get done in a year, which is why we get disappointment, but radically underestimate what we can get accomplished in a decade. And what's a decade made up of? A whole bunch of 10-day goals. That's it. Momentum is very, very powerful. You feel like you have the wind at your back. So how do you do this? I talked a little bit about the goals. I would say a couple of tips on this would be increase your exposure. Okay? Increase your exposure. We've had people like Nick Vujicic at our event. I bring out someone like Nick Vujicic to expose people. Here's a guy born without arms, born without legs, that has this incredible spirit, this immense attitude. And it wasn't like he didn't overcome difficult things. Okay? He has to rely on people for everything in his life. And it's crazy now to see him as a father of four kids. But this was a guy that as a young boy wanted to commit suicide because he represented no value. So he's been through the hard times. He still has hard days. But his attitude and his spirit is so extraordinary. You get exposed to a guy like that, it just changes your state. We've had John O'Leary. John O'Leary was burned over 100% of his body as a nine-year-old boy. I mean, just absolutely at death's door. And John O'Leary, who's been a fan of this show for a long time and a friend of our company for a long time, just inspires you, this attitude and this energy. So I've mentioned those people, they've all had physical challenges. But at the end of the day, when you increase your exposure, you get your head out of your own problems and get your head up, it creates this, again, this bigger perspective. And all of a sudden, it just changes your state. You know, when I had my motorcycle accident when I came to America, I was in a situation where I had a compound fracture. I was in bad shape. And I was in the hospital for 24 hours. It was October 30th, 1986. So I'm kind of down and feeling bad and this terrible thing happened and whatever else. I've been hours and hours and hours and hours waiting. And all of a sudden it's my time, right? So I'm in a lot of pain. It's been 24, 30 hours, something like that. And as I'm going into surgery, the surgeon comes to me and goes, Brian, we had a young kid. He just blew up his hand with some fireworks. If we operate on him right now, we can say, you're next. You've been waiting. It's up to you, but will you let this kid go in front of you? I said, sure. All of a sudden, I stopped feeling sorry about myself. I stopped feeling sorry. I'm like, oh, my gosh, here's this nine-year-old kid. And it turns out they were able to reattach a couple of his fingers type thing, which was great. But, you know, there's always someone in a different state than you, and we need to get exposure to get our head up out of our problems because all of a sudden we get exposed to someone else and our big problem becomes a little problem, and it's a good thing. So we increase our exposure. The next thing I talked about this is revisit your goals. Take those 10-day goals, stack them up. I have a drawer in my bathroom because I go to a seminar. I always have the folks write out 10-day goals on this cool little cardstock sheet. And so I would write out my goals and I'd pin them on the mirror in my bathroom. And when I checked off each goal, I take that cardstock and I put it in one of the drawers in the vanity in the bathroom. And over the years, I have kept dozens and dozens and dozens of these 10-day goal sheets that I've knocked off. Every time I open up that drawer, it's kind of a reminder of all the road behind me and all the things I've done. So that's a great way to track your goals. And then the last thing I want to share with you about momentum is the power of testimony. And I'm going to share with you a couple of things. We do this all the time at our events. We'll have someone, we'll pass around microphones, we'll say, hey, who's had success with the program? And there's thousands of people in this conference center. And there's people who are there for the first time and their problems are daunting and they're overwhelmed and they're, you know, they're in their current situation. And someone will stand up and, and share their story, where they came from. And I was broke and I didn't have this and I didn't have that and I was a single mom. 
next thing you know, here I am, and it's been five years and never look back. And so we have thousands of these people who have all these success stories. And so the reason why that's so powerful is that it sparks inside of somebody the principle of if they can do it, I can do it. If they can do it, I can do it. And it's a very, very powerful thing. I've always been a pretty good communicator. And when I first came out on the circuit speaking and presenting, and people thought, you know, I can see how you could be successful. So I would bring a fellow with me named Jamie Hopkins, who was the first guy I ever taught this system to. And Jamie was petrified of ever speaking in public. And I would bring him up and I'd ask him questions. And I'd let the audience ask him questions. And people thought, you know, because Jamie was so nervous talking in front of people, they go, man, if he can do it, I can do it. Now, 20 some years later, you know, this is a guy who sold over $100 million worth of real estate in the last three years. But it was like they couldn't relate to me talking, but they could relate to him. So the power of testimony, part of that whole dynamic of as you increase your exposure, you want to create that momentum. See who else has momentum and try to find those relatable people. And if they can do it, you can do it. There's another power of testimony, which is your own testimony, which you often forget. And that phrase is, I did it before, I can do it again. I did it before, I can do it again. And no matter what, you go, well, I'm faced with this current challenge, but hang on a second here. What did you do in your past? It might have been something you did in high school. It might have been you made an, an out-of-state move when you were a kid. Your parents were in the military, and you had to move seven times. You know, it might be a situation you overcame a difficult upbringing, or it might be some setback you had, or some disease you had, or it might have been a sporting things you had, or you had to overcome a coach. What are the things you've overcome in your life? What are the things you've achieved in your life? Many people before the Great Recession had accumulated quite a bit, and they lost it all. And I tell them all the time, we did it before, you can do it again. Only now you're wiser. You did it before, you can do it again. And so it's a very, very powerful thing. And so we want to develop that enthusiasm. We want to develop that momentum. So we want to first find out what steals our joy. Second of all, we want to create some momentum. And then lastly, we want to change our state. And so here's a couple of simple tips. This first one I got from John Gordon, who wrote The Energy Bus. We've had John on this podcast several times. But John gave me a tip, and I do this all the time, and it's taking a walk of gratitude. Now, I used to think, oh, yeah, all the planets have to be aligned, the perfect time, and so on and so forth. What I've learned to do this, and I don't do it every day, but at least three times a week, on my drive home, I will take the longer road, I'll go down the coast road, and I pass by all these beaches on the way home, and I stop at the last one. And I'll get out, and I'll just kind of take a walk of gratitude, and I, rather than I'm tired from the day, I'm overwhelmed by all the work we have, and I'm thankful for the work we did that day, the people who helped me that day, the people we got to help that day, and I think of all the blessings of the day. Not what happened or didn't happen, but actually what took place that I'm thankful for. And so I take a walk of gratitude, and it's amazing. I'll tell you what's amazing. Beverly really likes when I take a walk of gratitude because when I come home, I'm a lot easier to live with, apparently. And so uh, sometimes she'll send me outside for a walk. How's that? So, <laughs> so I can fire up, fire up, as they say. So it's very, very powerful. So take a, a walk of gratitude. Cicero said, gratitude is not only the greatest of all virtues, but the parent of all others. That's probably the quote I've said the most in 23 years of public speaking. I really believe it. I believe it's transformative and it changes everything. So a walk of gratitude. The next thing is celebrate your wins. Now, for some people, this is natural behavior. For me, this is artificial behavior. I've got to be honest with you. I'm not big at celebrating. 
I'm a perpetual person by nature. The minute I finish something, I immediately want to start the next. Until I realized two things. I was burning out the people around me, and unbeknownst to myself, I was burning myself out. Maybe you're good at celebration. If you are, good for you. Now, I would say, if you're a natural celebrator, just make that you're celebrating a success or an achievement. I know people who go, oh, I'm thinking about doing something, let's have a party. I just paid off a $5,000 credit card, let's spend $5,000 on a party. So the celebration should be after accomplishment, right? So after is a big deal. You've got to celebrate your wins. Here's the thought. Let's say you are in a lot of debt. Let's say you owe $40,000 in credit card debt, but you paid off a $5,000 credit card. You don't feel like you're winning because you still owe thirty-five grand, And it was a lot of work and a lot more work than you thought and a lot slower than you thought. Here's the deal. It's very important that you attach celebration to your achievements. They once asked Tiger Woods why he was so mentally strong as he competed. And he goes, well, if you ever watch me, he said, I put an awful lot of energy into when I make a putt or when I have a great shot. I pump the fist and I'm fired up. He said, if you watch most of the guys I compete against, the only time they show emotion is after a bad shot. They make a putt. They just kind of raise their hand. They chip the ball in the hole. They barely acknowledge the crowd. He goes, I go nuts because I want an association mentally between my accomplishment and the victory so I can do it again. So very powerful. Oprah Winfrey said, the more you praise and celebrate your life, the more there is in your life to celebrate. Jurgen Klopp was the manager of Liverpool, and he said, life is too short not to celebrate nice moments. Okay? Very powerful. The next piece to this is renew, right? So we're taking a walk of gratitude. We're going to celebrate our wins. And then we're going to renew. We need to renew physically, mentally, and emotionally. And we need to make sure we take the time to do that. Renew, restore, very, very powerful. One of my favorite authors says, renewing your mind is not refreshing your screen. That's Brian Buffini. That guy's great. Um, But, you know, that's the dynamic we live in today. It's very important that we get out of the digital life and get into the real life, you know? And... It's very, very important that we renew physically, we renew mentally, we renew emotionally. And that's with people, physically. I mean, we need to physically change our state, whether it's going for a walk, exercising, taking vacations, taking breaks, take little weekends away, staycations, whatever it is. We need to renew physically. I do a lot of work mentally. You know, it's interesting because I grew up the son of a blue-collar worker. And I was used to working hard and coming home tired at night. Today, I go home more tired than I ever did. And I might not move during the course of a day at work. But it takes a mental toll. And so I have to, and I continually have this discipline, where I'll do a little exercise, sometimes get a steam or a sauna at the house, that you feel like you've been moving your body all day long, and you haven't. But it's mentally exhausting. And then emotionally, again, what do you do to recharge and renew there? Who, what, when, and where helps you restore? Ralph Marston said, rest when you're weary, refresh and renew yourself for body, your mind, your spirit, and then get back to work. And that's a a powerful thing. So a couple of thoughts that we had here today as we go through these things. What is it that does it for you? What is it that restores you? American Psychological Association says, 48% 48% of people say listening to music it restores them. 47% exercising or walking. 39% reported spending time with family or friends. And 34% reported napping. 
And I'm a fan of all of those things. And so sometimes I need to nap and refresh so I can spend time with family and friends. You know, that's okay too. What is it that renews you? So take a walk of gratitude, celebrate your wins, renew physically, mentally, and emotionally. And hopefully this podcast helps in that sometimes. Maybe you're out taking a walk right now or working out or exercising while I'm talking to you. I know a lot of you do. I got a cool note here from a listener named Adriana Han, and it said, Dear Brian, before I came across your podcast, I was complacent and burned out as a 14-year insurance agent. My income was at a plateau, and I thought I wasn't good enough to keep going. Well, a dear friend of mine told me about your podcast, and I've been listening to you almost every day for a year now, and I'm so grateful I found you. I found new hope and enthusiasm in what I do. Once again, thanks so much from the bottom of my heart. I hope someday to play around the golf with you. You know, Adriana, someday I hope to play around the golf, period. And so that's one of the things I'm going to start doing to get myself renewed and restored here as we go. So the final word I'll leave you with here today is uh, we want to get fired up, fired up, as Beverly would say. The word enthusiasm that I began with, the last four letters of enthusiasm are I-A-S-M. And that stands for I am sold myself. And I just hope, as you're listening to this stuff, I just hope one of the forms of your enthusiasm is that you're sold on yourself. I hope you take stock of who you are and what you are and focus on the good things you've done, not the things you haven't done or the regrets that you have. I hope you find yourself thinking, you know what, I'm a child of God and God don't make any crap. And I hope you're able to get yourself fired up. I hope you find out what steals your joy and and reduce that. I hope you can create some momentum in your life and I hope you can change your state by whether it's taking the walk, celebrating your wins, or renewing yourself. And you will get fired up. You will get fired up and you will be sold on yourself. And another person I'm very sold on is our producer, Mr. David Lally. And he has some goodies for you. He's Mr. Goodies himself. So Dave has a good word for you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I certainly look forward to spending time with you again next time. Thanks, Brian. Getting people fired up is your speciality, whether at a live event or on the air. Great stuff. I really enjoyed this one. Brian mentioned a 10-day goal sheet that he uses. And as a special gift, we have one just for you listeners. So head to thebrianbuffinishow.com and check out this episode's show notes. You can get your very own copy right there. And until next time, I'll leave you with a little Irish blessing from Brian's mum, Therese. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.